theme for this week, uh, because it is a theme that is, uh, it's necessary. It's emphasized in the New Testament. It was an emphasis in the early days of biblical fundamentalism, and uh, it was a major truth. It was understood. It was a pillar. And uh, then in the 1970s, a whole lot was happening in our land. A lot of good things were happening. There really was a, a move of the Spirit, and a lot of groups were blessed. Uh, but in all of that, uh, uh, some uh, went to excess, and uh, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and in uh, that, uh, when that happened, uh, by the way, not every charismatic is wild, but uh, there's some that got uh, perhaps on the wild edge of things, and uh, uh, fundamentalists uh, tended to react to that, which is fine, but they overreacted, I believe, and left us uh, ignoring or minimizing or perhaps neglecting the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that has taken its toll over the last several decades across our country. And we are in desperate need of getting back to a right understanding and a right relationship with the Spirit of the living God. Well, it's a joy to be here. Uh, my wife and son will be joining us tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry they're not with us uh, today, uh, but uh, we're looking forward to these days together. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and uh, kind of uh, see where we're headed uh, in a certain sense. And then we'll begin to peel back some layers uh, service by service as we connect some of these dots. But may the Lord open our eyes and make this time count. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with open face, just like a child, beholding as in a glass, that would be a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed. That's the word transformed in Romans 12, 2, transfigured in the Gospels. We're changed into the same image. That is the image of the Lord. And then it says that's from glory to glory. It's an upward spiral. That's what happens this side of heaven. Well, how does this happen? Here's our phrase. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Friend, do you have a, a, a desire to be changed into the image of of Jesus. Well, the way that happens is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so if we minimize the Spirit, if we neglect the Spirit, if we're afraid of the Spirit, then we miss out on where the Spirit takes us. He takes us into this reality of being changed, transformed, transfigured into the image of Jesus Christ. And so obviously we need to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because when this becomes vibrantly real in our lives, we become a glow. Like this mirror, there's a reflection, there's a radiance. There's this transfiguration into the image of Jesus Christ. I want to speak this morning on being a glow with Jesus through the Spirit. In other words, His image by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to this text. Give us understanding. And, uh, Lord, help us uh, to, uh, uh, to see the realities of truth that connect to these words. And, Lord, I pray that you use the truth in these days to bring about this very dynamic, that we would be transfigured, literally changed, into the image of Jesus, this side of heaven. And so I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the enemy who hates the theme of this week. 
And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne, far above all principality and power. And in your name that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder us in this hour and in this day and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord Jesus, may you be honored. We thank you for it. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was preaching in the country of South Africa, and uh, we went to an area of the country called Venda, which is right up against what they call Kruger Park. Kruger Park is a game park. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing because it's about the size of the state of Vermont, and it's, it's a jungle, and so they call it a game park today. On the other side of it is Mozambique, and you have a lot of refugees that are just miserable, and uh, they're coming through the jungle trying to get to Johannesburg in hope of getting a job. Many of them, as they come through the jungle, lose various members of their family to the animals. It's, it's a fact. And uh, one lady came through and told the pastor of uh, the church where we were at in Venda that she came into the jungle with five children. She came out by herself. Friends, that's going on in our world today. Well, this little town that we were in is called Mashamba. It's out in what they call the bush. It's that rural area of Africa. And it's a fascinating place because if you're you know, if you're used to American culture, this is radically different. I remember the first time I came into this village, uh, the missionary took me by the uh, open marketplace. <laughs> That's the only marketplace. And we bought two live chickens to drop off at the chief's house or dwelling place on our way into his village. Well, that was kind of interesting. You know, when I came into town yesterday, I did not drop off two live chickens with your mare. <laughs> but uh, this is how they do it over there. And, uh, you know, you've got to... You've you know, try to picture um, the setting. In a village such as this, the majority of the people do not have electricity. Now, in some cultures, they have it part of the time, and then it goes out for a couple hours, and it comes back on. I've been in those settings, too. But this is a setting where they just don't have it. The chief does, maybe one or two higher-ups, but nobody else has electricity at all, period. They don't have it. Uh, the majority of the people do not have uh, running water. They don't have plumbing. And, you know, try to let that sink in. You know, what would life be like without electricity and without running water? And so this is just, this is where they're at. In these uh, little dwelling places of this village, the majority of people had an earthen floor. Kind of like a Michigan basement. <laughs> but uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, an earthen floor. Uh, some of the people had uh, uh, cement floors. We stayed at the pastor's house. He grew up in that village. Was called to preach and started this church. And he had a cement floor, so we slept on the floor. Nothing wrong with that. Took our blanket, slept on the floor. Got up in the morning. Well, you know, the average American is used to maybe taking a shower, get cleaned up, ready for the day. Well, that's not going to happen because there's no running water. Now, they had a barrel outside the house where somebody had hauled up some water, and they would bring in a basin full, a little bowl full at a time, into a little room uh, that was like a restroom. It wasn't the restroom. The restroom was one of those that was outside. But uh, it was a room where you could kind of get cleaned up and use this bowl of water. And so when it was my turn, I came in and I took a look around, and there was no mirror. Have you ever tried to get ready without a mirror? Now, the average American is used to looking at a mirror before they head out for the day. I realize that some look at it longer than others. 
Uh, but most take at least a quick glance to make sure things are not a total disarray. Uh, guys may not. They may just grab their baseball hat and be on their way out the door. But uh, otherwise, uh, we take a quick look. Uh, but that wasn't going to happen. Well, I've learned in my travels to bring a little travel mirror. So I pulled out my little mirror, you know, and had a little uh, uh, kind of easel thing. And I set it up on the windowsill. And it was slanted. And it was cocked. And it was small. Uh, but, you know, I did my da- best and got cleaned up, combed my hair, got ready for the day. Well, a couple hours later, I had the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to 500 secondary students. I'm going to tell you, this was an absolute joy. Here you are on the other side of the world, and uh, uh, 500 teenagers. Now, in this school, they didn't have an auditorium, nothing of the sort. And so we met in an open courtyard, and these 500 students stood. I was amazed they didn't have them sit down. They stood the entire time that I preached. I was mindful of the fact that they were standing, so I kept it on the shorter side. So if you think I'm going too long, you just stand up. And I'll keep going. (laughs) But uh, at any rate, uh, so I'm preaching away and they're listening. Well, the missionary is trying to get pictures of this. And so uh, you've got the 500 faces looking this way. He's behind me. So I'm preaching away, you know. And uh, then he got the film developed. And I realize the young people in the audience don't know what that means. Uh, But uh, some of the the folk, you remember what it was to get film developed. He got the film developed. And I, I remember looking at this photograph. And the hair on the back of my head... Was sticking straight out. <laughs> my mother used to call it rooster tails. Uh, my wife calls it bedhead. Well, whatever you want to call it, it was a bad hair day. And I remember looking at that picture thinking, oh man, don't I have any friends? <laughs> you know, somebody could have told me. Well, who knows? Maybe the Africans thought it was some newfangled American hairstyle, whatever. Well, have you ever been in a situation where you needed a mirror and you couldn't find one? Have you ever tried the back of, your, uh, of a spoon? <laughs> but all you see is your nose. <laughs> and with a Dutch nose like mine, that's a little disconcerting. But uh, at any rate, I remember one time I needed a mirror and I couldn't find anything. And then I saw a metal doorknob. <laughs> so when nobody's looking, I'm looking at the doorknob <laughs> trying to catch a reflection. But it was dull and I could not catch a clear reflection. It was frustrating. Now, in our passage, we see that somehow through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there can be this dynamic where we are so changed that there is a reflection, there is a radiance, there is an aura, there is a glow where people actually see Jesus. In other words, we are to be like mirrors. You know, we live in a world where people are searching. They're looking for reality. They they have this God-shaped hole in their heart, and only God can fill it, but many of them don't know that. And so they try this, and they try that. And some of the bizarre things that we scratch our head about, now how can anybody do that to themselves? It's because they're searching, friends. And you know, along the way, they may be around you. And they may find out that you are a Christian. In fact, that you call yourself a born-again Christian. So they're fascinated. You may not be aware of it, but they're looking at you. They're looking at you to see if there's any reality of Jesus. Friends, what do they see? Who do they see? Is it just us? (laughs) That's a disappointment. Or is it more? Is there this reality? of the Spirit imparting the life of Jesus in a way that there is this reflection, there is this glimpse, there is this glow, this glory. And they see Jesus. Friends, that's what happens when you get to know the Holy Spirit. (laughs) 
That's when Jesus becomes vibrantly real to you and not just you, to everyone around you. Well, how does this happen? Well, this morning in the Sunday School Hour, I want to do something a little bit different in my approach uh, uh, to the message. Instead of the typical homiletical approach of, you know, three points in a poem or something like that, I'm going to do what they called 100 years ago a Bible reading. Now, it's more than just reading the surrounding context. It's as we go through it, we're going to look for that which is going to shed light on our opening theme. So let's back up to verse 4 here in chapter 3 and begin to just kind of plow through this. It says, in such trust, that's faith, have we through Christ to God word. Okay, so we're talking about faith in God. All right, that's simple. Verse 5 is going to describe faith. It doesn't define it. It describes it here. It says, not that we are sufficient, that's the idea of adequate, of ourselves to think anything as of or literally from ourselves. But our sufficiency, our adequacy is of, it's from God. Now, friends, this is one of the hardest lessons for us to learn. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing here. He's writing under inspiration, and he says, we are not sufficient. We are not adequate for anything. You know, that doesn't go well well with our human ego. (laughs) That's what he says. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of or from ourselves. See, this is what unsaved people stumble over in the matter of salvation. They're thinking somehow they're good enough. Somehow they're better. Somehow they can make it and be accepted by God. I remember talking to a lady in Ohio and we were just walking through the gospel and it's, you know, it's not by works. It's, it's Jesus finished work. And she said, you're not giving me any credit. And she was stumbling over that. And you know, it is possible to come to the understanding that salvation is by grace through faith and you get saved. And you're justified by faith. And then often we go back to sanctification by works. Assurance by works. In fact, most messages on assurance are assurance by works. Friends, it's by faith. And what happens is we go back to thinking that somehow we can do this on our own when we can't. We're not sufficient. We're not, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, we're not able. In other words, spiritual ministry demands spiritual energy. Demands the spirit. And so he's setting the stage by saying we're not sufficient. But our sufficiency is of, it is from God. Who, verse 6, also hath made us able ministers. Now he's not talking about human ability. He just said... We're not sufficient. But when you understand that God is, and you begin to tap into God, and you begin to trust God, not just to take you to heaven, but allow you to experience heaven on earth, to allow you to access the Jesus that moved in, so you experience Jesus. Friends, when that becomes real, then he enables you, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Do you realize it's the privilege of every child of God? Every child of God to be a supernaturally enabled minister of New Testament truth. In fact, it's God's will. It's amazing. This is how God uh, has set it up. And so he goes on to explain this ministry, this uh, being ministers of New Testament truth, not of the letter. Now, we often refer to the letter of the law. This is actually the letter of New Testament truth, but the same idea. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For... The letter killeth. That's an amazing statement. But the Spirit, 
giveth life here. Now, the Spirit here is the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in the context. It's not talking about an attitude. It's not an attitude that gives life. It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life who gives life. But he says here, the letter kills. Even the letter of New Testament truth without the Spirit kills. This is why the Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, I came not unto you in word only. Yes, it was the word. But he says, I came not unto you in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, I'm afraid that we have a tendency to get into extremes. You see, back in the 70s, uh, when there was a lot happening in our land, and uh, the Jesus movement was taking place. And uh, I realized they did not all become independent Baptists. <laughs> but you know, when hippies left marijuana parties to go to Bible studies, you can't chalk it up to the devil. <laughs> it passes 1 John 4. God was at work. And a lot of good things were happening. Independent Baptists experienced an incredible surge of growth. 1970s, that's when it happened. And it hasn't been happening a whole lot since. Other groups were blessed like Calvary Chapel and so on. And there was a tremendous surge across the land. Of course, the charismatic movement took uh, certain ideas of Pentecostalism across denominational lines and so forth. And then some got beyond what the Bible says into uh, what has been called wildfire or strange fire. And it was done in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so, as I mentioned, there's then this reaction. And people don't want the wildfire. And so they've overreacted and embraced no fire. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want wildfire. We don't need that. But we don't need no fire either. You see, when you, like some do, when they emphasize the Holy Spirit and downplay or minimize the word, that's when you leave the objective boundaries and you get into strange fire and it's no longer the Holy Spirit. There's the strange fire. There's delusion. But when you overreact to that and now uplift the word... And minimize the spirit. That leads to deadness. The letter kills. That's what this passage is warning against. That's the no fire. Now, friends, we, want, we don't want delusion. We don't want deadness. We don't want strange fire. We don't want the no fire. What we need is the word and the spirit. That's dynamic. That leads to Holy Spirit revival fire. Well, let's read on here. And by the way, before I say uh, we read on, let me just say, that word-only preaching, word-only teaching, word-only witnessing, word-only child training kills. And we've seen the devastating effects of that in our own churches across our land. Across our land. And so what we're talking about here is not a small matter. We've got to get back to the ministry of the Holy Spirit based on the foundation of the word. So let's read on now. Verse 7. But if the ministration, that's the word ministry, of death. Now that's kind of an interesting phrase, don't you think? The ministry of death. <laughs> well, what's your ministry? Well, I'm involved in the ministry of death. <laughs> I knew a few guys like that in Chicago where I grew up. But, uh, <laughs> and taking that out of the physical into the spiritual, usually there's somebody in every church who's the minister of death. <laughs> but at any rate... Uh, the ministry of death, what are we talking about? Well, it's interesting here. It's showing us this contrast between the letter versus the spirit. It says, but if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, 
that's the law. Now we are going back to the Old Testament. That's the Mosaic law. There's the Ten Commandments written and engraven in stones. Why is it called a ministry of death? It's because the law does not remove sin. It never has. It never will. The law does not remove sin. It reveals sin and condemns it. And thus it is a ministry of death to be that schoolmaster to get us to Christ, as Galatians talks about. Okay, but let's read on. It says it was glorious. Glorious? Why is it called glorious? Well, it goes on to say, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Friends, even though the law is a ministry of death, it still was glorious. Why? Romans 7 tells us the law is holy and just and good. So there was a glory to it. And when Moses met with God at that time period in the giving of the law, on that one occasion when he came down from the mount, his face was a a glow. And you remember they asked him to put a veil over it. Can you imagine the power of that radiance? It's amazing. Verse 8, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit? And notice the contrast here. How shall not the ministration or the ministry of the Spirit be rather, which is the idea of more glorious. When Andrew Murray, how many of you know the name Andrew Murray, the author Andrew Murray from the past? Wow. Okay. Some of you do. Good. About 10 of you. You need to know that name. Uh, he, was in, uh, he was from Scotland. He was in South Africa. He wrote the book called Abide in Christ, Absolute Surrender, and many other classics, uh, The Spirit of Christ, and so on. Uh, but uh, Murray, when he was a younger man, uh, came to take a uh, church uh, that was on the town square in Worcester, South Africa. Beautiful, beautiful area. I've been there. Uh, the mountains where the, uh, the uh, the water comes out of the top of the mountain and flows down into this valley and you have the vineyards and so on. Well, the first sermon that he preached at that church was this text. How shall not the ministration or the ministry of the Spirit be rather or more glorious? You know, within weeks, that church was in a full-blown revival. In fact, it spread to the region. In fact, it spread to the nation of South Africa. It is known in the revival history books as the great revival of eight. 1960. And uh, what a powerful move that uh, uh, was when you study the story. The, the intercession that led up to it is just glorious. But then when God began to move, uh, uh, time was lost and their services would just roll on and on and on. And they would finally dismiss at about 3 o'clock a.m. Can you imagine? Isn't there a glory to that? Now, you don't have to have a service go to 3 o'clock in the morning to say you've had revival. That doesn't happen in every story. So that's an incidental, it's a glorious incident, uh, but it's incidental compared to that which is essential. But it is glorious. And it says when they, when they would go home in the middle of the night, they would sing their way through the streets. Can you imagine singing your way through your neighborhood at 3 a.m.? And you're not drunk? There's a glory to that, isn't there? You see, they were so basking in the presence of God. It didn't matter what time of the day or night it was. I mean, do we even sing our way through the neighborhood at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? (laughs) See, they were so caught up with God that it didn't matter what time of the day or night it was. They were singing the praises of God. See, there's a glory. There's a spiritual glory. There's the ministry of the Spirit in what's taking place. And so, a beautiful example, verse 9. Now, verse 9 and following is going to contrast the two ministries. This is fascinating. For if the ministration or ministry of condemnation, remember the law, death, be glory, much more doth 
the uh, ministration of righteousness, the spirit, life, exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Notice the much more is the exceed, the excel. Look, words could not put this more strongly. That though there was a glory to the law, though there was a glory to that whole time period and Moses' face was a glow, there's such a greater glory to that era that we live in right now, this era of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's such a greater glory. It so eclipses, it so overshadows. It so exceeds, it so excels the former glory. It's as if the former glory had no glory by reason of the glory that far outshines it. The scripture is emphasizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And for us not to join into that emphasis is out of line with the text. It's saying this is a much greater glory, a much greater ministry. Verse 12, seeing then on that basis that we, not just Paul, that we have such hope, which is not the idea of wishful thinking, but confidence and expectation, we use great plainness or boldness of speech. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus at the throne of God received the promise of the Spirit and he sent the Spirit And you know the Holy Spirit has not been sent back yet? And we live right now in the age of the Holy Spirit. We live in this age of this greater, glorious ministry of the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of the living God. So seeing then that we have such hope, such confidence, such expectation, because this is God, we can use great plainness or boldness speech. Boldness does not mean brashness. That can be the flesh. It means being free. It's freeness. It's being free to say what ought to be said. For example, D.L. Moody, a man whom they say uh, did not have that much education, though I think he was otherwise brilliant, but he didn't have that much formal education, and they say he slaughtered the king's English. (laughs) Well, interestingly, one day he went to the king's land. Uh, That would be England. Uh, And uh, he went to London, that's a major center, uh, intellectual center in the world in that day. And he challenged the Atheistic League of London, a 5,000-member league of intellectuals. And he challenged them in the newspaper to come on such and such a night to such and such an auditorium and hear him preach. Well, 2,000 atheists showed up. Can you imagine a service with 2,000 atheists? D.L. Moody preached the gospel. Gave an invitation, who will trust Christ? Nobody moved. They just sat there, totally frozen. He said to the ushers, you may open the doors. Anybody that would like to leave, you may leave. And they just sat there, totally frozen. (laughs) So he preached a second gospel message. Gave an invitation, who will trust Christ? And one of these atheists stood up and pathetically said, I can't trust Jesus Christ. Moody said to the ushers, open the doors. Anybody that would like to leave, you may leave. No one left. He preached a third gospel message, gave an invitation, who will trust Christ? This time the leader of the Atheistic League of London himself stood up and in defiance said, I won't trust Jesus Christ. And D.L. Moody pointed his finger at that man and, and he said, there's your leader. And he looked at that audience and said, how many of you will follow him? Nobody moved. And D.L. Moody preached a fourth gospel message. I would have liked to have been there. 
gave an invitation. And 500 atheists were no longer atheists. <laughs> As they put their faith in Jesus Christ. He continued to preach over the next several nights. And before it was done, 2,000 atheists had trusted Christ. It broke the back of the Atheistic League of London in that day. Now, friends, how could a man who didn't have that much education, who did not use the English language well, go to England, go to London, and challenge the intellectuals to come on such and such a night and hear him preach? Is it not very apparent that D.L. Moody understood that the sufficiency was not in D.L. Moody? And that he did understand that the, ministry, that, that the sufficiency was in Almighty God through the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because he had such confidence, he could use great boldness of speech. Now, friends, you and I may not have the exact calling of D.L. Moody. I understand that. But you have a place in God's kingdom work, his spiritual kingdom now, and you cannot fulfill that place apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Let's read on. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. You know, there are God's children who've been saved. The Spirit of Jesus has moved in, but he's veiled. Nobody can see him. It's called walking in the flesh. (laughs) But this says, and not as Moses... Verse 14, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is their heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now notice, it's not that the veil is taken away so that their heart can turn to the Lord. That's how we would think it should be. But it's no, their heart turns to the Lord. It's called faith. And then the veil is taken away. The order of that, when it comes to the order of salvation, is very significant if you are savvy to theological battles. But let's read on. Verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is Lord? He is God, along with God the Father and God the Son. He's God. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the idea is where the Spirit is Lord. That is, where He's yielded to as Lord. There's liberty. When you yield to the Spirit, you're now freed. Because when you're yielding to His leadership and power, He imparts that liberating life of Jesus to you. And that's the true liberty. uh, That's the true Christian liberty that's available. It's accessing Jesus. And when you access Jesus, things turn out right. (laughs) There's Christian liberty. Verse 18, but we all, not just Paul, but we all with open face, just like a child beholding. That's not a casual look, it's a careful look. As in a glass. Notice the word as. This is not actually looking into a mirror, but it's a concept that's like looking into a mirror. And there we behold the glory of the Lord. Now in James chapter 1, the mirror is used also there. And in that context, the mirror is the word of God. And it is very true that one of the ways we see Jesus, the living word, is through the inscribed word. That could be applied here. But in this context, there is no indication that it's referring to the inscribed word. The mirror here is you. It's the child of God. 
We'll prove that more in a moment, but let's read on. When we see the glory of the Lord, it says we're changed. There's the word transformed, transfigured. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus allowed the glory of his deity to be manifested. And uh, I lit up his outer clothing. He, who he was was manifested. Okay, but now the word is used about us. God wants who you are from his point of view <laughs> to be manifested. Who are you from God's point of view? Christ in you. The hope of glory. <laughs> so that Jesus is seen. There's a, there's a glory here. It's not a physical glory. It's a spiritual glory. But it's just as real as if it were physical. There's this aura. There's this dynamic. And uh, so we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. There's an upward spiral. How does it happen? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you learn to walk in the Spirit and yield to the Spirit and trust in the Spirit, there is this dynamic that takes place and you are transformed and transfigured into the image of Jesus. And when that happens, people see Jesus. They actually see him. It's not figurative. It's literal. It's just that it's spiritual, not physical. See, it's the ministry of the Spirit. And as he imparts Jesus. See, that's the Spirit for life. It's when the Spirit fills you with the life of Jesus. That happens. People see him. Remember years ago, when my son was maybe, I don't know, He was just a toddler at the time. We were in San Francisco for a meeting, and I didn't really feel like taking my trailer into downtown San Francisco, so we stayed uh, in their prophet's chamber. And uh, to get John Jr. out of the building, I would go down the street, and and there's like, you know, a Starbucks on almost every other corner. And and I had John trained, so if I put a gospel track in his hand, he would hand it to the nearest person. Well, this got really interesting on the streets of San Francisco. Uh, But uh, it opened up some interesting conversations at Starbucks. And so it began a ministry for my son and I called Starbucks Evangelism. Uh, Well, a couple of months later, we were over in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I said to my wife one afternoon, said, hey, I'm taking John Jr. over to Starbucks for Starbucks evangelism. And of course, that means a latte as well. But at any rate, we walked in and the young lady that was working looked up, smiled and said, hello, may I help you? And immediately the thought went through my mind, she's a believer. Now, it wasn't based on what she was wearing. I don't remember what she was wearing. She's standing behind the counter. And it's not just that she smiled. Did you know that an unsafe person can smile? (laughs) But you know, there was a reflection. There was that glimpse There was that glow, that glory. And I knew I had just seen the Lord. And so uh, we placed our order, put a gospel track in John's hand. He handed it to her. She took it and said, oh, I'm a born-again Christian too, and gave a clear testimony. You know what? I already knew. I was in a post office one time, and it was packed out. But I looked at the uh, postal workers, and there was a lady. Never seen her before in my life. She was so aglow with Jesus. I thought, wow, (laughs) look at this. And uh, I was hoping I would uh, get to talk to her, but I would, somebody else helped me that day. But later on that week, I was back in there, and she's the one that helped me. I said, ma'am, I said, are you a born-again Christian? She said, well, yes, I am. She said, I said, I could tell. See, that's what this is talking about. Now, Moses wished not that his face glowed. But everybody else knew. You see, is that really what it's talking about? Look at the next verse. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Look, 
If you don't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you've got to go to deceitful methods to make it look like you're successful in ministry. And it's happened all across our country. But when you understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. Reading on here. But my manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, what does it mean to preach Christ? Most of us would answer, well, you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's true. Is that all? Now, friends, I learned this from my father and it took years for it to actually penetrate and open up to me. Preaching Christ is not just preaching the message of Christ. It's that as you preach the message, the Spirit is so imparting the life of Jesus to you and through you as those rivers of living water flowing out of you that as you preach that message, people actually see the very Jesus of the message. That's what gives the message power. It's not based on intellect. It's not based on personality type, which means there's hope. It's based on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You say, is that really what it's talking about? Look at the next verse. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, the God of creation, here it is, hath shined in our hearts. See where the mirrors have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. He shines in us in a way that people see Jesus. Why would God do that with the likes of us? Next verse. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Clay mirrors. You know, you don't make a mirror out of clay. (laughs) But God can. And it shows that this is miraculous. So that, as the verse continues, that the excellency of the power... Maybe of God and not of us. Everybody knows that's a God thing. And God gets the glory. I have some dear friends. Um, He pastored. He's not with the Lord. He was my age. He's now in the presence of the ageless one. (laughs) Uh, But uh, he had married a Chinese lady from our church in Ann Arbor. And uh, they pastored out in San Diego. And uh, they were in uh, China for a uh, three-week tour out there just because of her background and they were witnessing to their atheist guide the entire time and at the end of the three weeks the atheist guide said well how do we know that you know your Jesus just isn't your form of our Confucius and my friend said well Jesus rose from the dead and that's a good answer and she said how do you know (laughs) that's a fair question now historically many infidels have tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ and gotten converted in the attempt that's a fact but I love how the conversation went. The atheist was saying, well, you know, back when we met three weeks ago uh, and all the group came together, I just was kind of drawn to you too. My friend's wife spoke up and said, oh, if you were drawn to us, there's nothing in us, in and of ourselves, for you to be drawn to. But Jesus lives in us, and that's how you know he rose again. And after a long pause, she said, I believe you. Fifteen years ago, another born-again Christian was in my group. 
And the same look, she used the Chinese character that means the God look, that I saw in her eyes, I see in your eyes. Friends, that's, that's our privilege. It's more than that. It's our responsibility. But it's a privilege to so walk in the Spirit, to so walk with Jesus, that the Spirit of Jesus imparts the life of Jesus, not just to us so that we experience His holiness, but through us so that we experience His effective ministry. And people see Jesus. If we downplay the ministry of the Holy Spirit, all of this is lost. And it's just us faking it, hoping to fake it till you make it. (laughs) Going through the motions, pretense, we wear our mask on Sunday, and all of that. And it's just flesh. Whether it's irreligious flesh or religious flesh, it's still flesh. And the devil's happy as long as it's flesh. We need the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Friend, are you aglow with Jesus? We can be through the ministry of the Spirit. Without him, oh, we get all messed up. We indulge the flesh. The mirror gets smeared. People come and look, and uh, there's no clear reflection of Jesus. All the dirt and junk and filth of the world or just bitterness or anger or impatience and all that stuff clutters and gets in the way. And we veil Jesus, as Ian Thomas from Great Britain says, we imprison the Son of God within us. It doesn't have to stay that way. And friends, if they're going to see Jesus, the mirror has to face the object to be seen. If we're self-willed and self-dependent, they don't see Jesus. But when you're looking at Jesus and the mirror is facing him, then he is the one who is seen. Lord willing, as we move along in this series, we'll begin to peel back layers of how do we get there? <laughs> this is a wonderful possibility How do we get there? Well, it's by faith, but we'll get into more specifics. Lord, we pray that you'll bless your truth to our hearts and change us in the image of Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.